Welcome back to Blind Guy Talks Tech, your daily accessible tech podcast. Add your voice to the discussion. Email hello at blindguytalkstech.com or call and leave us a voicemail on 0204-571-3354. Hey, welcome along to another Blind Guy Talks Tech. I am that blind guy, Stephen Scott, and today we are talking all about CSUN. Yes, the event that uh, got finally underway again in person this year. JJ Meadow from AT Guys was there, of course, host of the Blind Bargains podcast, and you've had him around as well. JJ, great to have you back here uh, with me on this brand new podcast. Yeah, great to be back and uh, great to be at an actual conference in person. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how was it then? Because uh, CSUN, of course, uh, was one of the famous events, I think, of 2020, where it still went ahead in 2020, um, but with companies sort of rapidly pulling out as uh, the the weeks unfolded, as the news unfolded about what coronavirus meant. So this was, I guess, a rather interesting time for a lot of people who perhaps went to this event and then were locked in their homes until probably the next CSUN, which you were at. So how did it go? Yeah, that's pretty much what happened to a lot of people. So two years ago, that conference became a ghost town by the end of the week. All of the big companies, as in the mainstream companies, Google's, Microsoft, all pulled out at some point. And by the end of the week, it was pretty much a ghost town. And there was a lot of talk about how the conference mishandled COVID. And mind you, people didn't really know what to do with COVID at that point. So that's a bit of an understanding. But still, it was... A conference that left a bad taste in a lot of people's mouths. So between then and now, of course, we've gone through so much. But I think by now, people were ready to kind of get back in person, do a lot of things in person. There was a fair amount of health and safety protocols in place. Uh, you pretty much had to have vaccines or a negative test to attend. And they did check that when I uh, signed in for the day. You had to get a daily wristband and do a health and screening thing. But beyond that, there wasn't any limitations. The exhibit hall was there in full force. Quite a few companies were there. There was uh, certainly quite a few that didn't attend because of either their company didn't allow them to still, or maybe they were actually not so happy with the way they were treated last time. And I know a couple didn't attend for that reason, but there was a lot of new products. And I think it was just great to reconnect and realize the value of an in-person conference again. Yeah, I saw a lot of people actually commenting on that when they go back on Twitter. A lot of people saying, you know, it was really nice just to be back in person again. And, you know, it's funny when we talk to disabled people, we tend to get the opposite conversation, which is, you know what, why can't these things just remain virtual? Because, you know, for a lot of people, they just can't get to these events and they would love to go. And when they're in person, it excludes people. But it, it, kind of a combination of both is really necessary, isn't it, to make this to make this work going forward? Yeah, I agree. I think the one thing that you lose from not having an in-person event is the spontaneous meetings. I had so many conversations with people about current and emerging technologies throughout the week that this wouldn't happen on a scheduled Zoom call. There actually were a few events. I intended one that was an indoor navigation summit that was held in person and online. And I know the conference organizers also streamed some of the of conference for this year, which is something that people have been pushing them to do for a long time. So there was some of that who people who wanted it, but the in-person interactions and the spontaneous interactions really is what makes a conference like this work. Yeah, okay, well, let's get into it then. And maybe we should start, I guess, for people who live under a rock and don't know what CSUN this, or, or I, and I always say this, I always say CSUN as if it is an all-encompassing thing, but of course CSUN's actually a university, isn't it? It's, yeah. 
it's the event itself is the the was it the accessible or the assistive technology, technology conference yeah yeah conference right so th- this is a conference held at that place every year is that right yeah it's actually at a hotel um it's moved around a couple of different times we've been we're in san diego for many many years and then they've moved over to anaheim where they have been since 2019 and where they have announced they'll be back next year so it's a huge conference at the marriott in anaheim Let's talk about some of the the product announcements. Um, we'll maybe get to that first, shall we? Because that's what everyone's interested in. Let's talk about, for example, all the new Braille tech that was on show. Lots of stuff we'd seen before, but lots of new stuff to talk about. Yes, lots of Braille. And I know this is something that we've had in the past. Like, yeah, it's the year of Braille, and we were doing this, and we had various Braille displays. What was different this year is that there were tactile graphics displays that you could feel that were displaying actual graphics that were not staged demos. People had tablets connected to devices and they were sending over both images and text that you could feel. I was feeling bar graphs and pie graphs and text and graphics and text on the same display. And these were things that were live and not just entirely staged demos. Um, So there's a lot going on in that area and it's really exciting to kind of see the future or feel the future of tactile graphics. Yeah, this is a new area. Well, I say new area. It's a newish area uh, for this tech. We have seen iterations of this, but like you say, they've often been staged demos rather than physical products that people can can get up close and personal with. Do you think this marks a change in the conversation around Braille, moving away from the "is it dead" conversation to you know, how can it be useful? Yes, I certainly hope so. I mean, anything that can make Braille more accessible to more people is certainly something that we want to try to support. One of the big things that has developed is the technology from DOT, the new type of Braille cells that they are using in their own DOT pad, but it's also being used in other devices like the dynamic tactile device that APH and Humanware, APH the American Printing House and Humanware are partnering with as well. So the idea being, I was talking to Greg Stilson from the American Printing House, and he was telling me that to create one math textbook, it costs upwards of $30,000 just for one book for one student in one location. So that's you know not only the cost of transcription, but the cost of paper as well. And when you have a thing like the dynamic tactile device, you can transfer text and graphic images to a student in near real time, and they can have that information and they can receive that textbook in a much quicker fashion. Yeah, it's fascinating. Um, This is where it really needs to get to. Um, And of course, this is really all focused on education at the moment. We can obviously see the benefits in other areas of work and and employment and all of that. But let's just focus primarily on kids here, right? That's that's really what this is about. Uh, So you've got three contenders in this game, really, haven't you? Because you've got APH and Humanware. You've got the dot pad. Now, the dot pad, that's from the company that made the dot watch. Is right. that right? Yes. So they've come up, they've come to market with this new product. So the dot pad is actually also the underlying technology in the APH thing, which I know was kind of confusing to some people. Oh, I see. Right. Okay. It's actually the same technology. So dot managed to get a partnership with Apple that in iOS 15.2 and above, now, of course, nobody's seeing this because who has a dot pad yet? There's actually new items in the rotor that relate to tactile graphics, that if you happen to have a dot pad, which only a few people in the world do at the moment, uh, you can send images from your phone to uh, the device. So they were actually showing up icons that were on the home screen, they were sending them over to the device. One of the big things they have done with this too is created an API, so a way for developers to create uh, applications and other tools that work 
between the iPhone and the dot pad. And it's not just the iPhone. They're going to be open to working with other companies as well to transfer graphics and information on the dot pad. Where APH and Humanware are taking this a step further through the dynamic tactile device, they are really hyper-focused on education and transferring things like textbooks, uh, line graphs, pie charts, things like that into the same textual format. So it won't be the same device. It'll be the same underlying Braille technology. Um, but the APH Humanware partnership is really focusing on not just textbooks, but making uh, both uh, graphics and text available on the same device in, in the same area. That's pretty big, though, isn't it, that they've got that partnership with Apple and, and Apple haven't, you know, just subsumed that whole thing. And turned yeah, it to right, absolutely. Kind of to, hidden... to be in the rotor. Like, wow. Yeah, and, and to be kind of already out there, it seems interesting that that's just happened. That, that's absolutely incredible that that's the case. So, right, so that's the that's one of the contenders then. And the other, uh, I guess, at the moment is that's out there, and I, I don't know if this would have been on display, but we did hear about a new Braille note-taker from Orbit called the Orbit Speak. They also have, and I can't remember the name of it, but they also have a similar device so already. Or, yes, so Orbit, uh, a few years ago, this is where the, the tactile graphics started. Uh, the Graffiti is a device That's that a, was yes, created in a partnership between them and several organizations, including APH. Um, a couple of differences. The Graffiti also had graphics, but the dots on it were quite a bit bigger and are quite a bit bigger. So where the dots on the dot pad are pretty much the size of braille dots so dots on the graffiti are much larger but one of the advantages of that is they do have multiple dot heights between uh, zero which is flat and four which would be all the way up and you could have you know variable dot heights that can be useful but the dots are quite a bit bigger now what they've done this year is they've created a version of that graffiti that also has a 40 cell braille display on the bottom so since the graffiti does not do a great job of rendering braille on its own, they added a line of Braille on the bottom. So you could put text on the bottom and then you would have the graphics on the top. Now the original graffiti there sound for 15,000. I don't see a price yet for the new one. So that's the approach they've taken. So they're maybe a little uh, at a different stage or uh, they're taking a little different different approach with this, um, but uh, there is another contender, you're right. These are not consumer devices. Well, I mean, they are if you've got $15,000 hanging around, yeah. I guess, but yeah, these are not gonna be for not consumers. Yet. But not no. yet. I mean, it's obviously it's very early on. Uh, the dot pad thing is going to be, I have a developer edition that's going to come out towards the end of the year. The APH Humanware, they're targeting the end of 2023 as a possible release. So we're still a little ways off, but, you know, probably the graffiti is the closest to market at the moment. Yeah, it's an interesting new area, really. That, that's, I mean, although it's been touted for a couple of years, it's nice to actually, I guess, get up close and personal with some of this and see the development of it. So that's pretty cool. Uh, let's talk about note takers then, because uh, there's a couple to talk about. And uh, the Orbit Speak is the one a lot of people have questions about, JJ. Uh, but you were telling me just before we started that uh, they're a bit quiet about this device, despite announcing it at CSUN. Yes, they announced that CSUN. It's, I would say it's quiet because they're still trying to figure out some things like uh, important questions, like what voice is it actually going to use? So mm. if anyone has felt the Orbit Rider, the Orbit Rider is a sub $100 little Braille keyboard. And what I like to tell people is a Braille display without the display. So it's designed as a wireless keyboard to connect to mobile phones. It just has the Perkins keyboard on it and a few navigation keys. So now if you take that device, make it just a tiny bit thicker, add a speech chip, add Wi-Fi, add some other things, turn it into kind of a mini note taker. That's what they're going after with the Orbit Speak. It's still a lot of details. They're trying to flesh out on what it's, exactly it's going to do. 
but they definitely want to come in and make it a really affordable note taker, perhaps do some book reading features, perhaps do some other stuff and kind of target that market for people who want a note taker that don't want to spend thousands. So what have they announced? Is it an actual product or a prototype? It is going to be a product and he, they expect it to have it released uh, by the end of this year, perhaps a little bit sooner. It's a product. There's just a lot of details. They haven't worked out yet. Because, I mean, one of the questions I have, I mean, <laughs> I bet you're thinking, <laughs> I, I have don't know the answer too. to these questions. Yes. We've all got questions. But, what you know, I'm thinking, what OS is this running? Is it going to be based on Android? Is it going to be running no. something else? No, they're not going to be based on Android because they want to keep it simpler um, as far as right. note taker. I think it's going to be Linux in the background. Um, it's probably going to be similar software. So you already have the Orbit Reader 20 Plus and the Orbit Reader 40, which are 20 and 40 cell Braille displays. And it makes the most sense to try to use the same software across all of these. So you can share features, you can share functionality, and then all of them will start getting various updates here and there. Is that what the Orbit Real Displays run off? Yep. Linux? Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Okay. And I'm guessing no idea of price yet. No idea of price yet other than, you know, we have some baselines. So the Orbit Rider 20 Plus, at least here in the United States, sells for $749 currently. The Orbit Rider sells for $99. So one would assume we might come in somewhere in between those values somewhere. That's not bad for a note taker. I mean, you know, that that's a very interesting um, proposition, isn't it? When you think about the other real note takers. Yeah. I mean, again, there are differences in options, right? I mean, it's a mini versus a Rolls Royce. Um but, you know, it, it depends on what you need, ultimately. Right, and that's the question, right? What do people want in a note taker these days? So some people have been comparing this to the Braille and Speak. Well, when the Braille and Speak was out in the 90s, and that's when it had its heyday, there was no iPhone, and there was, you know, not a lot of computer use back then, maybe not as much at least. So the Braille and Speak did a lot of things that maybe you wouldn't need it to do today. So now the question is, are you going to target it at people who also use smartphones and make it a compliment? Or are you going to try to include as much as you can for people who just want a standalone device? There's a lot of different ways that you could go with this. And it's going to be way more features and feature requests. And there will be time to include. So it will be on them to try to develop and, and prioritize the most important features and figure out what would be best in their product. And Hims brought out a new note taker as well. Yes, so the Braille Sense 6 came out last year. That's a, a, an upgrade to their Polaris note taker. And now this year, because they had a Polaris Mini, now there's a Braille Sense 6 Mini. So it's a 20 cell uh, note taker, which has all the same functionality of the Braille Sense 6. So this is your more high end note taker that does run Android. Uh, I believe it's Android 10, although I don't really care too much about Android versions as much as some people might. Uh, and I'm an Android person, but it's, you know, it's new enough that it will run all the modern Android apps. They really focused with these note takers on collaboration apps. They were talking about new features uh, for browsing Google Drive, Dropbox, OneDrive. They pretty much all just show up as a drive. So you can really easily connect and share and collaborate with other features. But it was a nice, compact and tidy note taker. It's going to be released uh, sometime in the spring, uh, $45.95 US. So you're right, that's a little bit different than a, you know, a, a thousand dollar right. note taker but you know for people who really love the uh, those products and use them a lot for school those are definitely targeted at, at education and portables um that's coming out soon there will be an upgrade path as well if people want to move their cells from a current polaris to a new braille sense 6 mini and it's interesting because the uh the technology inside these you know you, you can make the argument and many have about what the, the capability of these things are but again it's what is needed for that particular device um i, I also think you know my own experience of hymns um, being hands-on with them at an exhibition versus other note takers and, and other even displays, I think that the hymns products are very well built 
from my own experience. Do you do you feel that way? Yeah, I feel that way as well. And they've really always put a lot of effort into kind of trying to engineer features that people are looking for. They're willing to sometimes think a little bit out of the box of the things that they will look to implement in their products. Um, they have a lot of line people on their staff, not to speak of any other companies, because I think Hims and Human were both are doing yeah, a good yeah, job yeah, at, at note takers. Yeah. I mean, those are the, as far as the, the premium and note takers, those are the, the two players that we have since Freedom Scientific got away from the note taker game a few years ago. And they both are doing a good job of kind of really focusing on education. You can tell that's what they're going after. They do a lot with editing documents in various formats. They do a lot with sharing documents, lots of stuff with math. These are the types of features that they feel you would still want to buy a note taker for as opposed to just a braille display that's connected to an iPhone. So talk to us about Good Maps because they were in attendance and um, I saw quite a splash about Good Maps, uh, not just uh, promoting what they do, uh, and we can maybe get into a bit of detail about that and what that is, but also they were a big part of the event itself and helping people navigate. Yeah, so Good Maps is a navigation company that kind of splintered off of APH. There used to be a Nearby Explorer, which was a GPS app that kind of briefly morphed into an indoor explorer. And now Good Maps is its own company uh, based in Louisville, Kentucky, that you can use. Um, and, and they're developing technology for indoor navigation. And what they're doing that's a little bit different is instead of using beacons and Bluetooth uh, devices that you have to kind of install all over the place, they are mapping locations using the camera technology, using LiDAR, using uh, those types of technologies. So what you can do is you take your phone at a supported location like the Marriott Anaheim. You point it vertically so the camera can kind of pinpoint where you're at, and then it will start telling you where you're at and help you navigate places. I've used this. It's not perfect, but it certainly is better than what I have seen for before for indoor navigation. It certainly is showing the potential um, of what is possible for indoor navigation. It's not just telling me that something is 100 feet away, which is what I saw before in indoor nav. I was able to say, find me the nearest restaurant, uh, restroom or restaurant, and you can, you know, it'll say walk forward for 100 feet, uh, turn left, and it was pretty accurate as far as the turns. You know, it's going to depend on where you're at. You know, when you're in a big hotel lobby, it's a little harder, for instance, perhaps, is to pinpoint your location versus walking down a hallway. So it's going to depend, and obviously, you know, they're going to be learning a lot, and they are learning a lot as they're going, and they want feedback on how this works for people. But this is popping up in a few locations, I think, some in the UK even, and all over the place as far as uh, trying to look at this technology. Um, this is one of a couple or one of a few different indoor navigation solutions. And one of the things I heard from all the companies is they want these things to work with each other because we don't want to go into a situation where say you're at an airport or a train station, and then you have to figure out which app supports your location. The ideal thing is whatever indoor navigation app you're using, it'll be able to get you around wherever you're at, just like GPS does for outdoor. Yeah, that's that's a. I'm glad they're thinking that way because that would be the problem, right? It's like, oh, you've got the wrong app, and then you're absolutely yeah. screwed. Um, that's that's very interesting. I mean, it, overall, it sounds like there was a lot going on. Anything else that kind of caught your your eye, your ear as you were walking around? You're thinking, oh, that's interesting. I haven't seen that, or was it was it a showcase that perhaps we've maybe seen before on display? Yeah, right. Because sometimes you have companies that, you know, people aren't seeking them out because they don't really know what they do. And, you know, but there's a lot of interesting kind of uh, smaller technology. I found a company in the hall called Sixa Futuro. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. They're from, from Spain and they had a lot of lower tech products. But uh, one of them was a talking globe and it was talking using a wand that you could point at various locations. The globe itself kind of had a raised relief area, so you could feel mountains and, and lakes and things like that. And you pointed the 
little wand at the globe and it would tell you what you were pointing at, whether it's a, co a country or a region or things like that. And they market it in various countries currently. It's big in Spain and a few others. And they're kind of there because they say they can localize it. They can customize it to your country. And they're selling it for about under $200. So little things like that. It's fun to see. Uh, smaller companies, also bigger companies though. Sony was there. Sony has had a presence for several years. And among the things they were showing, of course, they were showing their talking televisions and even a PlayStation 5. They had a, a camcorder um, that was $2,500, more on the professional range, but it's not the type of product that you ex normally expect to have a screen reader in. Um, now, it doesn't do things like helping you take pictures yet, but at least it reads the menus and things like that. So if somebody who was blind wanted to go into video uh, videography, they could use a device like that and the menus and things would talk because there was a screen reader built in. Well, I mean, you know, somebody who, and I think about, for example, James Rath, who we've had on the show, and, you know, I'm sure you're aware of James mm -hmm. and his work. Um, you know, people like him who are being sort of crying out for this kind of tech for a while, you know, it's like he may have a little bit of vision that allows him to use the camera. And in some cases, a lot of people with low vision find using a camera really helpful because right. they can see so much through the viewfinder. But the problem they have is they can't read the menus. And, you know, having that being able to be read back, that is just brilliant. And how many people who are older want to take uh, pictures and may not have perfect vision? Yeah, I don't know. And how there's only so much you can put on those screens, right? Exactly. And I'm not sure, you know, I mean, how many times you, you just like go on mainstream forums or, or things like that and you see comments about like, oh, I can't use this because I can't read the menus. You know, they're, yeah. not, they're not going to see something specifically looking for this stuff. They don't think it's available. But you see people all the time that end up using like the features on an iPhone or the magnifier on Windows just because it's available and since they can use it. And especially as more people are, are getting older and there's more seniors in the population, there's going to be more of a need for that. So, so see mainstream devices, including these features, not charging extra from some sort of accessibility add-on, just including that. I think that's one thing, thankfully, that, that is going away is like there's no a lot less of, yes, you can uh, use a screen reader with this device and you pay $3,000 more. And I'm glad that's going away. Yeah, definitely. And did you get a chance to jam with Stevie Wonder? I did not actually. I saw him. I didn't. I didn't see him. I heard I was at a, a, the uh, Vespera was doing an event. They the makers of uh, Jaws, you know, Freedom Scientific, and all that. And apparently he was there. I know he likes to attend CSUN often. Um, and mm -hmm. you always get someone walking up to you, hey, you know, Stevie Wonder's here, and like, and you know, they're like really excited, which I appreciate. And he's you know obviously a really famous person. And it's, I'm like, yeah, it's cool. He's there every year. <laughs> yeah, he does. About, he, he likes yeah. to show up, doesn't he? He, just he does, likes to show which up, makes yeah. sense. Why not? He, he well, he's blind, it. right? Absolutely. <laughs> Yes. Listen, JJ, what an amazing uh, time it sounds like. Uh, are you glad to be back? Are you quite tired now? <laughs> yes. I, I, I think yeah. I got on a day schedule. I decided to do a red-eye flight. That was not the smartest move, but whatever. I am back. I'm recovering. And now I'm going to today start sorting through all my notes, and we're going to get the podcast going out and start sharing all sorts of information. Well, that's, that's what I'm looking forward to listening to. So where can people find all that? So the podcast under Blind Bargains, so it's called the Blind Bargains Cast. So the easiest way to do it is just to search for Blind Bargains on your podcast app on uh, on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever you have. Or you can go to blindbargains.com. We will start posting them there as well. We already have one up with uh, Greg Silson from APH on a lot of the things that they're working on. And we hope to be pushing them out um, about once a week from here on out. So throughout much of the spring, you're going to have all sorts of content coming out from the CSUN Assistive Technology Conference and uh, all sorts of hands-on demos. And you'll be able to hear all sorts of things that are going on. Ah, superb. Well, we look forward to uh, hearing it all on the podcast, uh, on the Blind Bargains podcast. Absolutely brilliant. Uh, JJ Meadow, thank you so much for coming on to Blind Guy Talks Tech today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. 
And don't forget, you can be back with us tomorrow as we continue our conversations. And stick around, we'll give you all the details on how you can get involved in our show, uh, you, how you can send in your feedback. Please do do that. And remember, you can listen to your feedback read out on the weekend edition, which is every Saturday and Sunday. If you want even more Blind Guy in your life, visit blindguytalkstech.com for previous episodes. Find us on your podcast apps or ask Lady A or Lady G to play Blind Guy Talks Tech Podcast on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Catch you tomorrow.